Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the review show for the Article 50 episode with Roger Little, which came out earlier this week. I'm Connor Pope, Deputy Editor of Progress, and I'm joined by Progress Director Richard Angel. We're going to be going through some of the responses from listeners, discuss the week a bit, and announce the winner of two tickets to James Graham's new play, Labour of Love. Last week we discussed the centre-left victory in New Zealand. This week we've some gains for a centre-left party in Japan, although centre-right Shinzo Abe held on to power despite losing seats. I wonder what that's like. Gains for the centre-left in Argentina, and although the Social Democrats lost heavily in the Czech Republic, the left has continued with its grip on power in, uh, well, China. Uh, but the Tories seem to be taking a similar approach to voting as our uh, comrades in China. They're refusing to turn up to any Labour motions in Parliament now. Last week, Tory MPs were told to abstain on universal credit. And this week, they've been told to abstain on social care and supported housing. Well, what Labour's clearly trying to do is embarrass the Tories on a series of important policy issues where they are falling down and failing the country and effectively pointing out these positions. And ideally, they'd get Tories to vote up and vote the wrong way on all of them so that we can put it on future literature whenever a general election comes. But them failing to turn up, I think, is going to start growing tired with the Speaker of the House of Commons, who does not believe it is some kind of glorified debating chamber, but a legislature to run our country. But I think the public will get increasingly exacerbated with it as well. The other thing that's interesting about it is it's a very good way for Labour to make sure in a kind of patchwork quilt coalition that certain groups in this case, people in receipt of universal credit in social housing or on social care, are firmly on our side. Now, normally, Labour being a kind of coalition of antis and the kind of angry interests doesn't normally work for us in making a government. But uh, the return to two-party politics, guaranteeing blocks of vote definitely on your side because they're anti the incumbent government, with broadly nowhere else to go with the Lib Dems and UKIP being largely irrelevant is good politics and could work for us. I just think it's a really interesting thing for the Conservatives to be doing as a kind of Brexit government. And, you know, all of this rhetoric about taking back control and how the Westminster Parliament had given away power to the European Parliament. And what we're seeing here is essentially when the Tories know that they aren't going to win a vote, they are trying to reduce the legitimacy of that vote in the Houses of Parliament in Westminster 
by simply not turning up. And then they can go, well, it wasn't a real vote because we didn't vote on it. There wasn't a real kind of debate here. You know, it's just something that the opposition have done, which I think seems to be such a kind of like crass undermining of our own parliamentary legitimacy in this country. It seems a really bizarre thing for them to have done. It's also quite scary. This is the route to populism. And you know, if you totally undermine the democratic institutions that you have, whether it's ministers basically calling out judges for doing their job, diminishing the role of parliament, you know, hectoring at the press, this is not a very good way to or, have a liberal democracy. Or as we saw this week, ministers writing to universities, asking them to tell them what they were teaching on Brexit. It's all kind of adding up to something quite sinister, really, isn't it? I think it is actually uh, worrying. Right. Anyway, should we move on to the feedback that we had this week? So Lizzie Dobris, she starts off saying that it's the highlight of her week. Uh, great minds chatting about interesting and stimulating ideas, not ordinary political podcasting. That's quite positive. Yeah, James Hoggart said that he found the last episode very, very interesting, which uh, is, is, is about as interesting as something can be. I believe. <laughs> he suggested moving the House of Commons to a Roman amphitheatre because its rounded structure would usher in a more consensual type of politics. Now, when I started reading that, I presumed he meant like the Senate and Cardiff or um, Holyrood in Edinburgh. You the know, German I, chamber is the same. Yeah, yeah, I thought he just meant architecturally. But then he said that it would also serve as a prime location for a bit of gladiator fighting for when PMQs gets a bit heated. So I think he does literally mean moving it to a Roman amphitheatre. I, I know that the House of Commons has those kind of red lines on the floor of the chamber, which was originally put there so that there were two sword lengths apart. And a foot. And a foot, yes. So, they meet. so that, you know, MPs can't cross those red lines and they can't have a sword fight. Presumably... Roman amphitheatres do not have those red lines. So we could see a return of sword fighting. So if people who are listening haven't been to the House of Commons, get in touch because we can get you on a tour because it's an absolutely great experience to do. But when you go in, the saying toe the line comes from the fact there are these two lines uh, like tram tracks through the middle of Parliament and they are literally, you have to keep your feet on one side and the distance of the two is two swords and one foot so that when you drew your sword on each other in fiery debates, they didn't clash in the middle, which is... A and in the cloakroom as well, for MPs, there are still little hooks to put your sword belt on. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's also why they pray, they kneel into the seats so they don't stab themselves in their foot with their sword. <laughs> I didn't know that. Anyway, I looked into where there are Roman amphitheatres in this country. There's one just up the road from Westminster in kind of Bankway, Guildhall. And there's one in Chester. I don't know if there are others, but I've been to the one in Chester. Would you prefer moving it to Bank or Chester? What do you, what's your preference for where Parliament should be? I was generally in favour of moving it outside London and uh, Adam Harrison, formerly of this Parish did the job before you. He is a big Chester fan, so I think I'd get in trouble with him. I believe he is a listener, so uh, I'm backing Chester all the way. Sorted with moving Parliament to Chester. Brilliant. It has done. You heard it here first. So on Twitter, Andy James Hicks said, The death of New Labour, a play about a gang of middle-aged men who read The Guardian, wear Converse, and wish Tony Blair was still Prime Minister. I'm not exactly sure what he was leaving a review of here. I did promise him that we would put that in there. ACL95 on iTunes says that the podcast is akin to receiving a full-body massage from Peter Mandelson. It is a great way to relieve stress for Ramonas. I'm afraid I have absolutely nothing to add. <laughs> I'm not asking that. I, I had a slightly amusing thing this week in one of my many WhatsApp groups. A friend of mine sent me this message. 
I'm very late to this, sorry, but your podcast is excellent. Little tone of surprise in that. Particular snaps for the Universal Credit episode, absolutely bang on, lots of claps, which I thought was a very nice thing for my friend to say I'm lucky to be surrounded by generous people. But uh, the, the tone of surprise did just um, make me laugh when I was reading it on the tube. Okay, Richard, before you pick a winner, we're giving away two tickets to James Graham's new play, Labour of Love, which is on in the West End at the moment. You've been to see it already. What did, what did you think of it? I've not seen it. I've seen a number of James's plays now. So this house has been very successful. He's got ink on about the rise of Rupert Murdoch, but The Labour of Love is his latest one straight out in the West End. It tells the story of a Labour MP who basically represents Ashfield. I don't think they actually say the name of the constituency at any point, but it traces him from election night 2017 back to having won a fictional by-election in 1990 and then retrace it going forward. What I like about the play so much is how much we recognise the characters that are in it, whether it's the council leader or the CLP secretary who knows everything, does all the work and gives all the credit to other people. And I think that's a really positive part of it. And it left me feeling a little bit more in love with the Labour Party, which was a good reason to recommend it to everyone else. You know, my parents went to see it last weekend and they they loved it as well. And I think they kind of appreciated it because they they brought me up very much in the structures of the Labour Party. I think they recognised a lot of it as well. What I really liked, me and you interviewed James Graham for the September issue of the magazine on this play. And he did just seem to have a brilliant kind of understanding of all of those just little bits of life in the Labour Party that you kind of never really notice. But as soon as someone says it to you, you recognise. So he talked about the kind of like pebble-dashed constituency office And the bath that's in Gloria Di Piero's constituency office that kind of gets a mention in the play, which is quite nice. Yeah, Yeah, it's kind of like you go upstairs and there'll be a bathroom, but the bathroom has never been used and it's just full of boxes of leaflets, which is definitely a kind of a mainstay of offices throughout the country. I really enjoyed that. And I got a little line in the play. So I went to meet the cast as part of the preparation for it. And I was kind of asked something that I get asked whenever I meet kind of youth and student groups around the country and encouraging people to get into politics, which is kind of, why do you do this? And my line is always, because I came into politics because we can find the vaccine for people's problems rather than just put plasters on them. (laughs) And this kind of fictional Labour MP, he says that at one point, which is quite nice. What a way with words you have. Why don't you... Pick your favourite review of the week and they will get two tickets to Labour Love. Well, I think as somebody who clearly is a theatre aficionado and just to show that we don't just reward people who give gushing reviews of this, I think Andy James <laughs> Hicks definitely gets two tickets to the Labour of Love. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. We'll make sure that we get in touch with him on Twitter because I'm not sure he's an avid listener to the podcast. <laughs> But please do continue listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate the podcast and review it. It helps us with our iTunes listings and make sure other people get to hear the podcast, the discussion, the interesting people that we have as part of our discussions in the weeks going forward. So please do go to our iTunes account. You can now use prog.rs forward slash iTunes and it takes you straight there so you can put your feedback in. You can leave us comments on Twitter or show us on Instagram that you're listening to uh, at Progress Online and go on Facebook at forward slash Progress Labour. And of course, you can email us on office at progressonline.org.uk. So our other competition, not just to rate and review, although we encourage you to keep doing that, is Connor's political pub quiz question. This week it was... So what do former Lib Dem leader Tim Farron, Labour MP Margaret Hodge, author and comedy writer John O'Farrell and UKIP MEP Gerald Batten have in common. And when I asked this in our podcast earlier in the week, you didn't know it, did you? No. Uh, 
Roger didn't know it. Roger Little didn't know it. Alison didn't know it. And in fact, it turns out that no one knew it. We had no one even even this trying is a pointless to pointless answer. <laughs> it's a kind of thought. absolutely. And so the answer is that they've all stood against Theresa May in elections. Tim Farron and Theresa May. I'm sure m- many people have seen this. They stood against Hilary Armstrong in Northwest Durham in 1992. That was more Theresa May standing against Hilary Armstrong than <laughs> standing against Theresa May. To be fair, Tim Farron was also just there. But anyway, thanks for Joe Oliver to helping put together that question. We should uh, send him the mug. I think we, I think we will send him the mug instead it's of a good uh, incentive for him to come up with questions, <laughs> kind of pointless answers. But we will be back with a new question in Tuesday's show, and we'll be back with Alison as well. So do listen in on Tuesday, and until then. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast with Connor Pope and Richard Angel. The music is When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And this episode was produced by Carolyn Crampton. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns